This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome back into another edition of College Golf Talk. Steve Burkowski, Brittley Romine with you. The fall season has come and gone. We're just days away from eating way too much food on Thanksgiving, and I cannot wait. This is the six-week stretch. Eat, drink, be merry, all that good stuff everyone says. Um, I love Christmas more than any other middle-aged man. Maybe next to Clark Griswold. <laughs> well, that's funny. My my wife calls me Clark Griswold because it seems like everything that I do around the house, something goes wrong, uh, much like Chevy Chase's character. But, uh, Burke, are, are you a guy that is can be found, like, on the couch taking a big early evening nap after Thanksgiving or Christmas meal? No, I keep going. When you have an 8- and almost 10-year-old, there are no naps. You don't do any of that stuff now. Theoretically, could I look at the back of my eyelids? Yes, but uh, no chance. Full steam ahead to 2024. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the new year, and this will be the last podcast of 2023. So uh, a little a little bittersweet, but uh, I think you blink your eyes once and the fall season's over, but you, you blink it again or maybe half blink and uh, the spring's here. So it won't be too long and the break won't feel as long when we're stuffing our faces and opening presents. Perfect. We are going to recap the fall, talk about recruiting, and then uh, jump into the continuing rabbit hole that uh, are these new rankings for college golf. Took till middle of November and still up for debate, yeah. but we'll do, a, we'll do a little rapid fire. Uh, recapping the men, our number one team, uh, I'm leaning towards Vanderbilt. You could sell me on North Carolina just as easily. Um by the slimmest of margins, not what we think they're going to do. What we saw, I'll take the Commodores uh, and what head coach Scott Limbaugh and his squad was able to do. This could be a theme, Burko. I, I, I very much agree with you. Um, I I do think that there's a lot of talk of 1A, 1B, you know, Vanderbilt, North Carolina. You have two teams that won three events and finished runner-up twice. Um, Vanderbilt gets the edge simply because – there were three and zero against North Carolina, two and zero in stroke play events. I think by combined six shots, so not much. It's very close, but you have to give credit to the Auburn Tigers and what Nick uh, Kleinard continues to do on the plains. A couple years ago, they finished the fall number one. Uh, I think if we had head to t- uh, head to head rankings, there could be a chance that they could have been number one. Uh, they're number two. 
They beat Vanderbilt at the SEC stroke play, then beat them again in, in the championship match, lose to North Carolina. So it's just one of those continual circles, um, and especially not having a, a ton of data so far, um, you're going to see a lot of, oh, well, this team beat this team but lost to this team. Ah, but the team they lost to beat the team that they beat. Um, there's going to be a lot of that, and and frankly, uh, neither of us have the brains to to truly accurately wrap our heads around. Nope, purely an eyeball test for me. Uh, surprises inside and outside the top 10. We can go maybe in a positive light, perhaps a little disappointing. I'm going, I'm going to look upbeat here. East Tennessee State at number nine. Something special is brewing there. And how about Cal, the Golden Bears, 16th at the end of the fall. You've been on it saying recruits are coming in. One of the best classes from a season ago. Sort of starting to pay dividends for head coach Walter Chun. Yeah, he he had donors and people involved in the program, alumni, saying countless times last season, ah, man, next year is going to be great. And he was very quick to remind them that, hey, I got to focus on this year's team. And they had a really strong close uh, to their 2022-23 season. I think they built enough momentum so that when the number two ranked recruiting class, as we had a year ago, arrived on campus led by Eric Lee, who's already won an event, uh, they would be willing to get back in that upper echelon of college golf. So 16th for the Cal Bears. I think Walter Chun uh, has to be very proud of the job that he's done. Chattanooga is another a squad at 21, uh, Blaine Woodruff, to be able in his first year through everything that him personally and that program went through last year to make it to the NCAA championship. And now they come back and they're a top 25 program again right off the bat. They, they were one of the last remaining unbeaten teams won their first two events of the fall that's another job well done and you mentioned surprises that can kind of run both ways right I'm a little concerned about the Florida Gators and all the talent that they lost they are outside uh, the top 25 right now so JCD can squad a, a little bit of work to do yeah expected though after that national championship and losing the big three Player of the year in the middle of November, you could go Nick Dunlap, Gordon Sargent, by the slimmest of margins because I'm big into wins. And Crystal Lamprecht from Georgia Tech, a friend of the pod, won twice. And I'm going to say what we saw from him uh, by the slimmest, just that small, I'll say uh, he would be my number one guy right now. You're just saying that, Burko, because you know that he could pound you into the sand with one false Possibly. His size, his rugby background, uh, I better be quicker than him because it's the only way I could get away. No, I, I, I think if I had to lock in my vote right now, um, I, I would lean Lamprecht, Nick Dunlap, almost shooting 59, winning the SEC preview. Uh, there's a reason why he's number one in, in these spike mark, clip mark Brody rankings, um, which we'll get into later. They, they don't have a name. I don't know how you can't have an actual name for it or maybe we just aren't aware of it. Uh, but there's another guy who, another individual who I really think it's worth pointing out. And you mentioned East Tennessee State, the mid-major, who's kind of been around. The, Jake Amos has been building uh, a, a really nice program uh, up there in Tennessee. Um, but it's his senior, Matt Ege, uh, played five times this fall, won once, didn't finish outside the top six. Maybe not the elite, elite strength of schedule, 
um, but a, a very respectable schedule, a top five at the golf club, the Georgia Collegiate. His win is at the Bank of Tennessee, uh, which had some really strong programs, uh, Charlotte, Furman, uh, Penn State as well, Florida Gulf Coast. So um, this is a guy who has built up that very consistent fall. If he goes out and wins a couple more times and maybe knocks off one of those upper tier events that East Tennessee State plays in the spring, um, he, he's going to get a lot of votes. Over to the women, who's our number one team after the fall campaign. Boy, you thought human instinct, you lose a couple of players that Wake Forest, the national champs from six months ago, just drop off ever so slightly. Hadn't happened. I mean, and they just continue to roll along, strong schedules, winning tournaments in the mix every time out. Uh, very impressive what Kim Llewellyn, Ryan Potter, the coaches there have continued to maintain. Yeah, just one of those programs that didn't have uh, the real disappointing performance of the fall. I feel like so many of the contenders, the teams in the top 10 right now, had some bright spots and, and some not so bright bright spots. South Carolina kind of comes to mind, winning the Yannicka, uh, then finishing, I believe they finished last at, at, at the Stevens Cup. And then Oregon, uh, without granted, without two players because of Q school, finishing outside the top 10 uh, at Stanford's event. I, I will say, I will give the slight edge to Wake Forest just because in that head-to-head with Stanford um, at the Stevens Cup, they were able to get uh, the better end of the Cardinal, both in stroke play and in match play. But Stanford, not far behind. A, a very consistent fall. Um, I believe they didn't finish worse than third, um, especially having to, to replace Rosang. Um, and Walker just just keeps reloading, and uh, Stanford's always going to be in the conversation. But I will say projecting out to the spring, uh, this could be something that we haven't seen in a while on the women's side, and that's five, six, maybe even seven teams moving to number one because every I really believe that all these teams are so close. Um, I don't understand exactly how the points-based rankings will work out, but I do know that if teams win, you get a lot of points and you can make some big jumps. So I think we're going to see uh, quite the revolving door of number ones on the women's side, which will be exciting, at least for us. Surprises inside the top 10. I look at the Bruins of UCLA wrapping up the fall fifth. Kerry Forsyth, longtime head coach, stepping aside. They're cruising. They, uh, you thought, or I believe, there would be a natural transition. They have sort of put themselves maybe in one of those six, seven teams you just referenced of they could touch number one perhaps, and then outside the top ten, sort of on the downside that's caught my attention, Auburn at 17th, Arizona State, at 21st, Georgia 30th, Florida State 31st, very early in this season. But some of those squads that we're used to seeing top 10, top 15 at worst have some work to do. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a couple of those programs like a Florida State, like a Georgia, uh, even Auburn at, at 17, which I, I think we both would agree is a little lower than maybe we expected or a little worse than we expected. But those three programs, they're going to get a jolt in the spring. You talk about Georgia getting a Savannah DeBach, a freshman from Belgium, uh, finally on board. Florida State, by everything that I've heard, Mirabel Ting, the sensational freshman last year at Augusta, she's going to be eligible to compete. And of course, Auburn 
the early arrival of Anna Davis, number one recruit in the country. So uh, again, those are three schools that you just add one player like that, one star um, who could who could give you a top five finish or even win a tournament every time out. Um, they're going to make huge strides up the leaderboard. Uh, I got to shout out UCF. A great year last year, finishing inside the top 20, top 25 in the national rankings, almost getting to the NCAA championship. They're at 13. Northwestern is a, a squad who I thought was going to take a step back. They're at 14. They're right in the thick of things. But if you ask me what squad has probably the most reason uh, to be proud of themselves just based on expectations, I think it's Ole Miss. I think we knew that this team was going to be good. Um, they're ranked ninth. I think they're more like a four or five team in the country. You add Caitlin McNabb, the transfer from TCU. She's been spectacular. Once Andre Lignell kind of gets it going a little bit more like she did last year when she had so many wins, runner-up, top three finishes, this is going to be a very dangerous squad. Individually, the top lady in the fall. Wow, this one, I'm teetering. I'm t- you know what? It, it's not being a homer. I'm going to go with Maisie Filler. Four events for the Florida Gator. Three top threes, two wins. You can argue Ingrid Lindblad. I think Maria Jose Marine at Arkansas is a star. Uh, but I'm, what Maisie uh, Filler did in the fall, I'm going to give her by the slightest of margins uh, in terms of performances. My value on winning, um, really, really good. Yeah, she won twice, and we say this all the time. It's hard to win no matter what tournament you're playing. Um, I, I'm going to go Caitlin McNabb. Uh, she's 11th right now in the overall rankings, but she has a win. She's been very, very consistent, uh, which a lot of players really can't can't say. Um, I think Ingrid Lindblad is probably up there too, and if I stared at it long enough, I might flip-flop and say Ingrid with her two wins and another top-five finish but it has only played three events. So um, it's it's super early. I, I will say I know for certain uh, that the current number one in the spike mark rankings, Maria Mar- uh, Marine from Arkansas, the freshman, for as great as she is and as great as she played, uh, she's not 37 points uh, better than the next best player in college golf. So something is there. We'll discuss that a little bit later. Um, but it, it's it's very close, just like it is on the team side. Signing day, always active here early to mid-November. You're all in on it. Give me the top classes for the men and the women and maybe someone that uh, individually you think, okay, is she the next Ingrid or Rose? Is he the next Ludvid or or Sargent? Uh, What what are your takeaways from what we uh, finally saw when Penn hit paper? Well, I I think going back – I had Ludwig as the number one overall in his year. I had Gordon Sargent, believe it or not, at four or five. So sometimes oh, sometimes I hit, sometimes <laughs> I, I whiff badly. Um, I hope that this year is not a whiff, but let's start with the men's side. Stanford has my number one overall class. Very solid class last year, but when you add TK, uh, Nuwat. I'm just totally butchered that, but he's the the young Thai, Thai kid who played it played in uh, the first live event. I think he's played in a couple live events, but he's really been all over. He's played professionally. He's won 
professional events. You have Jay Lang Jr., who's one of the top players on the AJGA circuit, and Logan Kim, who's a nice addition to Conrad Ray's class. They edge out Alabama with Nicholas Gross, William Jennings, and Michael Crocker. Individually, I mentioned TK, number one. I had Nick Gross, uh, the kid from Pennsylvania, a couple years ago, made a nice little run at the USAM at Ridgewood, one of the best players on the AJGA. I have him at two. Number three, Billy Davis, the brother, the twin brother of Anna Davis, recently played in that PGA Tour event that he qualified for a couple weeks ago in Cabo, uh, played well. Um, So those are my top three. And then on the women's side, you you have to start uh, with probably what I think is the best class of all time. Um, Wow. Granted, I, I say that, and you could probably go back and say, oh, well, you know, the Lorena class was was impressive. I don't know if you've ever, at least in the World Amateur Golf Ranking era, have ever had a program pull in four players inside the top 100 of the World Amateur Rankings. And they have four in the top. I think the worst player was Lei Lin, who, or uh, Lei Qian, who is like 90th. So four players essentially in the top 90, Maya Ortegren from Sweden, Norris Sundberg from Sweden, uh, two junior Ryder Cuppers, also Andrea Revuelta from from Spain. She was also a junior Ryder Cupper. I think all four of those were actually junior Ryder Cuppers with Chien being on the U.S. side. So um, I'll tell you what, when you have not only the type of academic institution at Stanford, but you have the the type of athletic program and the type of culture that Ann Walker and all the great players that have come through there have helped build. It's an easy decision. I think if you're a a top tier girls, junior golfer to want to aspire to someday play for a school like, like Stanford. I mean, you've been around this program. It's just so impressive. It is. Uh, You think, uh, I always draw the comparison, respectfully so, to, to what Dan Brooks has created at Duke. High institutional program, and for four decades, he sort of can go get what he wants to get, yet they're sometimes limited because the standard's a little different for each and every school. So uh, uh, she's not stopping the effort and the work, but Ann Walker, my estimation, has this program on cruise control. <laughs> she can go out, get what she wants, and do everything you just said. If you're a young junior standout, got the grades, why wouldn't you go there? Plain and yeah. simple. Unless you don't want to battle for playing time. Maybe that could be the only the only downside. But, um, yeah, a, a, another international flavor. Um on the women's side, at least individual rankings. I think you could probably tally it up and maybe 65, 70% are international born players. Um, Just going down the individual list, I mentioned Anna Davis. She's the top ranked. She's going to be joining Melissa Llewellyn's team early this January. Maya Ortegren, Stanford, number two. Yana Wilson, the U.S. girls junior champ going to Oregon. She's number three. And uh, I think it's Rocio Tejero. Um, the younger sister of Carla Tejedo, she's going to join. Well, actually, not going to. Yeah, she's going to join her at LSU. Actually, you know what? She It'll might be not a tag have a COVID in, year. tag out. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it is going to be. It's going to be a uh, see you later. The COVID year is finally done. So, um, but going to follow in her sister's footsteps. And then I gave Stanford uh, another player in the top five, and 
Rivalta with Auburn, number two class, Oregon, number three class, USC, number four class. I think Justin Silverstein, who we had on the pod a couple of weeks ago, uh, always pulls in these top five classes of two players. And he always hits on one and the other one is is a very solid and, and has the potential to play some meaningful rounds for him. That's the fall recap. That's your analysis on the recruiting. We promised we wanted to save the last 10 minutes or so uh, for the rankings. We're going to need a lot more than that. Well, I'm going to, yeah. You're going to cap it. Yeah. Cap it. Yeah. For those, if you're new, welcome. Most people know what we're talking about. Golf stat rankings were gone. Spike Mark headed up by former UCLA head coach, uh, Derek Freeman, the new provider, if you will, live scoring, all that didn't work out, uh, saying it mildly. Clipped gets involved, a bit of a handoff transition. We've gone until a day or two ago with no rankings, no rankings throughout the course of the fall. The rankings came out while I was at Cedar Crest, by the way, phenomenal event, um, Southwest Airlines showcase at Cedar Crest had an absolute uh, blast spending some time just outside of downtown Dallas. Kudos to all those involved for that inaugural plane. But what is your immediate reaction? Because as I was getting ready for the show on Wednesday, I see people tweeting, coaches, media, and I'm going to let you handle it and I'll chime in because they're out, but I'm not sure how good they are. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a little bit of a simmering down period. I think these last 24 hours, Burko. Um, one, I, I'm I'm happy that we finally have rankings. Rankings are never perfect. Yeah, they're they're never perfect. There's always going to be criticism, and I think there was especially going to be criticism because we were shifting from a head-to-head stroke differential ranking um, to a points-based ranking that resembles the official World Golf ranking that is easily gamed, uh, rewards a lot more points for wins. Um, and Mark Brody was always going to have issues because college golf is unlike pro golf in that you have match play that isn't necessarily bracket match play to where you have a clear one and a runner up and two quarter or semifinalists and so on. A lot of it's kind of head to head, um, individually, and it's a lot harder to do especially on an individual side. So there was always these kind of issues that you knew points-based rankings probably weren't going to work in the sense that they were going to make everyone happy. Um, I, I, I found myself yesterday seeing a lot of head, head scratching characteristics of the rankings. When you look at what events got, what, how many points in, how much, match play factored in and all of these different concerns. And I was getting texts from coaches and it's definitely at, at this point, I think the rankings have flopped a little bit, um, but I am definitely willing to hear explanations and have Mark Brody answer questions. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to hold a couple of seminars on the 21st of this month, the 28th of this month, to try to help people better understand. And I'm the first one to admit, it's not like I know these rankings like the back of my hand. I, I don't understand, but when you look at and when coaches look at the fact that a player got over 200 points, significantly more uh, for winning an 18-hole stroke play event with 20 total players at the Eastlake Cup, and you get considerably more than 
two players who tied for a win at the Hogan Collegiate, which is one of the top two or three toughest fields of the fall, there's something there. And another huge issue is the match play. There's a reason why the Golf Week Sagarin rankings didn't count match play and especially didn't count it on the individual side. It's because with this points-based ranking system, essentially, if you go and look at Nick Dunlap, who's the number one player in the individual rankings on Division One side, he got 117 points for beating Luke Poulter in one match. Uh, I think it was two and one uh, at the SEC match play. His teammate, Jonathan Grizz, beat Ann Gilligan, another Florida player who is ranked 158th individually. Luke Poulter is 119th. He got 18 points for beating Ann Gilligan. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Well, it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. But the reason, the explanation for it is if Steve Burkowski, if you have an average point of 60 and you're playing me and I have an average point ranking of 40 and we play a match together, we both bring our points and we add them together. You beat me as expected. You're going to get maybe 68, 70, 72 points, and I'm going to get 20. So I'm going to go down a little bit. You're going to go up a little bit. And then if I beat you, I'll probably get 61, a little bit less than you would have gotten if you beat me. And then you would get more than I would have gotten for losing, uh, but you still would have got less than your average. So it's all based on you're bringing your own points and you're benefiting off your own points. So I could see someone like Nick Dunlap in Alabama, if they wanted to, they could play a couple strong events, get a win, build up their average points, and then you go play like six straight matches and you just solidify and cement your positioning. When you look at the OWGR and the fact that if you get to the top, it's very hard to come down. It's a slow drip if you're struggling. I mean, Justin Thomas didn't drop out of what, the top 30? Is that right? In the the official world golf ranking for for about a year of struggles. Um, and then when you're starting at zero every season, I, I just don't see how points-based ranking system is going to work. Uh, I do think if we're going to have to deal with it moving forward, I think there is potential for it to be serviceable. And, and I got a little bit of pushback from my tweet this morning saying that, hey, like I think there is some potential here. I don't mean a potential for it to be the best thing ever, but I do think it could work if you take out match play and you don't count that, you figure out, all right, how can we not penalize guys for sharing a, a win at a tournament? Like the Annika on the women's side, toughest field of the fall, maybe not by far, but at least by a, a decent bit. You had four players tie for the win. They each got about 50 points. That's less than a player got for winning like the Molly, which is a, probably a C plus B, B event. So um, you, you do that and yeah, and <laughs> And I don't think stroke differential is is being applied correctly because Washington wins their home event, which they always win by like 25 shots for some reason, because it's just, it's a different type of, type of golf. It's the time of the year, whatever. They're also a really good team. I don't want to take that away, but you get 150 plus points for winning your home event by 26 and Vanderbilt gets like 110, 115, or actually, maybe even less than that, just over a hundred for winning the Hogan by a shot over North Carolina, the best team in the country. There, there's something wrong there. there. There's a lot of issues. I've heard some other things like some errors. You're, you're giving Caleb Surratt 87 points for WDing in the middle of a second round of a tournament. 
he gets the 87 points to count toward that one round, that first round that he played, which is more than the guys who tied for second get to count over the 54 holes. So that's an issue. There's so many little things that I think need to be ironed out, which is expected. And I think you've got to give Mark Brody a chance to adjust and figure things out. Um, but I'm going to be very interested to see the progression as we get to the spring. But I think right now, the de- the debut, especially after all the frustration that the coaches have gone through and the kind of, you know, how unnecessary this all was and how the contract Golfstat lost it. And we had a good thing in Golfstat. Like for 30 years, they had done a good job. And now you just kind of throw everything out of whack and then the rankings come out. And I, I guess they're not totally off, but you just, I, I point out some of those things. You just can't have that. As you said, it's out. It's a start. You give some leeway to a point. Um, you said serviceable. Serviceable isn't good enough Yeah. for these men, women, coaches, players. That doesn't work for me. Um, I go back to our conversation a month ago and you just reiterated it. Wasn't broke. Don't fix it. Have a proof of concept for a semester, for a year to say, this is my proposal and this is what the computer spit out. I get it. It is not easy. Well above my mental acumen and mathematical prowess to figure it out. I stay in my lane. I don't go in that. But just your five minute summary, it shouldn't be that darn hard. Well, this and this and that, too much, too much. And I get it. Rankings are based on that. But then, you know what? I'm going to put the onus on the committee because let's be honest, the bulk of this is about regional selections. Where are you ranked? Yeah. How about we don't go right down the list anymore? How about somebody get a little more pot committed to going through the weeds to say, hey, you know what? That ranking might be 68. They're a lot better than that. What was that? Was it Old Miss? It was someone a couple of years ago where two kids had to withdraw. They had to remove SMU. themselves from the tur- SMU and whoop, right there. And they didn't adjust. If memory in, in Iowa that year too, it was yeah. Iowa and, and SMU. Um, you've heard from many. I've heard from many. There will be multiple people coming in, guns blazing at the convention. I know. I'm going to be there. Fact. I'm going to be there with uh, look at with you. my popcorn and my notebook. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I do think as we hear in so many different, um, parts of society and different groups and things, uh, some people always talk a big game and they don't end up delivering. I I'm interested to see if we're going to really get, um, the, the guns a blazing, um, as, as you call it in Vegas, but we, we shall see. Yeah. And, and but you know what, maybe this downtime in the fall, it can be tweaked, reworked a little bit, but yet you've got no numbers and results to post for those two months. So I'm not, maybe it can be fine-tuned and improved, or maybe more results need to come in. Um, it's disappointing. It's, it's hard to compare is. it, right? Like if we had a trial run or we can compare it to what Golfstat did or, go, or what Golf Week did, um, then I think maybe it could ease some concerns. Like, yeah, this looks a little off, but the rankings kind of ended up very similar. Um, I think that could have eased a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of confused and, and frustrated coaches in players. But, um, you know, maybe the path forward is 
to try to get the golf week sagger and rankings to come back out in the spring and go off both lists for at least this season, you know, average together two rankings and, uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe that'll kind of help us push forward and give Mark Brody a little bit of time to, to iron things out, or maybe things don't need to be ironed out. Maybe we're all just, we just don't understand. And, uh, and it is the best, but I don't think so. We will. No, probably not. We will find out moving into 2024 holidays on tap, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the special occasions people celebrate, uh, special tradition, favorite food as we wrap it up in 2023. Hmm. Favorite food is this might be kind of sacrilege, but stuffing. That's my favorite food of Thanksgiving and Christmas is, is the stuffing. And I know that's very polarizing, um, but there's nothing like some good stuffing. Yeah. I, I'm simple when it comes to Thanksgiving. Give me the turkey. Give me the stuffing. Give me the mashed potatoes, cranberry. Like, I don't need any above and beyond. Call it a meat and potato type type of thing. And then, you know, Christmas right after, we'll have the lasagna Kate will make, heating it up when we're at the Christmas Eve mass. And then probably like 10, 12 years ago, probably right when I first got married, Christmas night, I grill out steak. A little steak Hmm. and shrimp, change it up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a great great tradition. I I'm having a hard time really coming up with with traditions. Um, I mean, obviously, do the the Christmas Eve mass and spend time with family, watch a lot of football. Um, there used to be a time back in the day where I would go Black Friday shopping in person, go out to the outlets, brave the crowds, um, but that has long long passed. And um, you know those those years of going all night and till five in the morning and getting McDonald's breakfast and then going home and falling asleep. Those are long gone. I'm a dad now. I'm a, I'm a husband. Uh, Black Friday shopping is exclusively reserved for online and Cyber Monday. I never did it. Never went out. No interest in saving 60 bucks to be in a parking lot at three in the morning. <laughs> it's the experience, Perko. It's, nope, it's no the- chance. What you need to do is on the back end of your turkey, maybe your favorite beverage you're sipping, feeling a little loose at the keyboards. All those sales start online. So you just go in and we have made purchases on Thanksgiving night that you're like, I'll be darned. And one of them, I'm going to end with this. As Luke, my almost 10-year-old Star Wars, we got this six or eight-foot storm or Darth Vader from one of the big box stores. And like the next day you're like, why did you get this? We kept it in the box. You stood it up. I don't, it's somewhere now. I think it's in my in-laws. I think it's worth almost a thousand dollars. Now we paid 80 bucks. <laughs> it was like a special edition store wars. You leave it in that. And I'm like, put it in the closet. You have to leave it in the box though. Right. Yeah. But it, like, if you see it, it's much easier. It's the, uh, the base is the box. The box is the base. You leave it. You put Santa's hat on it. Uh, and then my wife's like, you know how much that thing's worth now? I said, great. Well, it's never going to come out again because we don't need it anymore. We never needed it to begin with. So sometimes you can, uh, you can come across, uh, that special thing, but, uh, always how, fun. My, how big is that? this? How big is this Darth Vader? I think it's six feet. I don't think it's eight. I think it's oh, my size. So yeah, when yeah. I was little, I had a, I was a big Orlando magic fan still am, but big Penny Hardaway fan. 
And at Winn-Dixie, they had a Hillshire Farms, and this was when I was about six or seven. They had a Hillshire Farms uh, sale or something, and there was a big cardboard cutout of life-size of Penny Hardaway with the Hillshire Farms jersey. And my grandmother talked the store owner into giving it to me. And so that thing was in my room for probably six or seven years. And I did my height on it, you know, chart my height. But it always used to scare my mom when she'd walk in my room at night and she'd just see this big <laughs> six-foot man standing there. Um, so that that Darth Vader definitely, uh, that, that definitely would have not only scared my mom, but probably would have scared me as well. On that note, we wrap up 2023 on College Golf Talk. Our sincere thanks to each and every one of you tuning in. On a weekly basis during the college golf season, I think by now, you know, Brentley and I, we're all in. We love it, and we can't thank you enough for showing your support. Uh, enjoy the holidays, my friend. Kick back, relax, and we'll uh, roll it again here in 2024. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.